They <laughs> definitely, <laughs> they definitely Lieutenant Dan the uh, tree by the end of it, oh, like a reverse Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> yeah, I guess it would be a reverse. It's just the just the legs. Wait, no, Lieutenant Dan didn't start off with stumps and then. Okay. No, yeah, but he well, has his upper half. Oh, yeah, I yeah. gotcha. He has his upper half. If it was just his legs, they were wheeling the around. The tree was decapitated. Yeah. I, I, it I was went reverse on. human centipede. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I didn't think there was any way to make a human centipede any worse than <laughs> throw it into reverse. <laughs> Jeff Dyke Michaels making food, and he's making comedy too. Thaddeus J. McKee is co-hosting with the guy I mentioned previously. Sauce Boss Zach's on the one, the two, so good he calls them twos and threes. And as always, there's a guest who is sure to please. Um. It me. It me. <laughs> hey. Hi, and welcome to the Heart of Brunch Podcast. I'm your host, Dyke Michaels, and with me as always, my co-host, Thaddeus J. McKee. Co-hosting, man. That is... <laughs> That's great. <laughs> You've thrown a couple curveballs the last couple well, weeks. Listen, I, I got a no. cease and assist from SNL. Oh, they didn't. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I was like, oh, that's nice. I like co-hosting, man, because it says what you are, you mm-hmm. know, and it's just like, and it's in song form. It's in song form. That's the most important part. On the ones and twos, the wheels of steel, the sauce boss of Indianapolis, and the last woke dragon. Give it up for Zach Rowan, everybody. Producing the hits. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh I, 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 I hope we keep the rule of threes going for this next introduction. Uh, comedian uh, Ray Williams joins us in studio. Being a young grandpa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Yes. You're welcome. That was nice. Are you a young grandpa? Yeah. Yeah. I was 36 when I became a grandfather. Uh, so yes, I I would call that young. Whoa, how old were you when you had your kid? I was nineteen. He was fifteen. Because oh, we all got to climb over our dad's records. You know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a winner. Yeah, he got me. Wow. <laughs> so thirty six. Because it was it was crazy. I noticed that um a couple years ago. It wasn't quite thirty six, but I was I think. 39, 39 or 40, and someone in my class became a grandpa. And I was like, yeah, that's insane. Yeah, what's insane to me is there was probably a time that was like a great grandfather. Mm. There was like not 200 years ago, sure. like 39, you're like, you were. You could be 24 yeah. and be a grandpa, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. It was, so I look at it like that on a grand scheme of things. That's why, you know, I have a joke in my act and I don't want to run my bits, but it was like, it was like my family likes to. Fuck like we're on the Oregon Trail. That's pretty much what we do. Uh, we just keep making babies. So that's nice. cool, man. I like being a grandpa more. It's a lot better gig than being a dad because you don't get blamed for everything. Yeah, you, you sound like stuff. a grandpa right now. Just yeah. saying that. Yeah, yeah, you get like uh, you get perspective. Yeah. you know what? of like you were too close to the problem with your own kids. We were just like. <laughs> I can't let you be like me. And it's just like, uh, or I want you to be just like me. That's a lot. Mm. Of, and uh, with the grandkid, you're just like, eh, just love them. They'll figure it out. You may be, probably how you should be with your own kids. You may be one of the first guests we've had in the studio that has descendants. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's how we do it. I'm a, I'm a Gen X patriarch. Do you... Uh, do you get to do like? Do you have a cool like grandpa name? Like, are you referred to by Peepaw? 
Your people? Yeah. Nice. And I, I kind of did it for the bit. Yeah. <laughs> which is sad, yeah, but yeah. true. I like, because I decide. You decide. Yeah. You and call I was like, me people. It's the one I hated the most. Uh, I was like, I hate when people call, especially adults. Yeah, you still yeah. call your adult. Oh, you're an adult, and you call yeah. your grandfather people. Yeah. Kill yourself. <laughs> okay. I had you a, age out of it. I had my my grandma was uh, French, and so she was Maymay, which is, I think is like a French word, kind of like for mommy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think I had to knock that shit off when I was like a teenager. Like I, I feel like, like at least in front, high, you can still call her that at home. But like yeah. to your friends, you came back. I'm going to my Maymay's house. Yeah, like, to your adult friends. Is that where Mammy? Uh, no, no, no. From? That's something different. Is that <laughs> where Maymay's kids? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, that was Maymay. Oh, I think. I feel like I feel like uh, grandparents were the kind of your first introduction to like non-binary, right? Because like you usually look at your grandparents as like not really having a gender, and they always have like wacky, you know, nicknames, you know, like people, yeah. num nums, or you know. I've always thought of my grandpa as a as a guy. <laughs> yeah, I just think they just kind of merged together to one thing of just like they're gra- definitely stripped of their sexuality. Yes, that's, I'll give what, you that's, that. that's what I was going for. in a way that your parents aren't. Well, you, you still know. more so. <laughs> I okay, think you're aware. No, this smartass. He's got jokes. He's no, got jokes. Let me ask you. Right. Let me ask you this question, Zach. Gun to your head. You have to watch your parents have sex, or you have to watch your grandparents have sex. Oof. Well, I mean, my grandparents are dead, so no, they're back alive for the they're back <laughs> alive for the purpose for of this the purpose bit. of this day. Hey, let's go. We'll say at the same time. I think we both are on the same page. One, I, two, three. Neither. Grandparents. <laughs> Well, what'd you say? Fact, no, no, I say neither. The fact that you didn't go on one or the other, yeah. that you broke the, the mm. rule. You what'd you say? Rule. I said grandparents. Me too. Yeah. You'd rather You're watch right. your grandparents. I mean, they're on their way out, dude. <laughs> yeah. I want my grandpa to be... get a nut. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of, it's going to suck either way. Is your grandpa alive? Uh, no, he died year or two ago. Oh, I'm sorry for bringing that up. No, it's okay. <laughs> That's what grandparents do. A 50-50 shot. Was it because you walked into him? Yeah, I kill him. He's like, hey, get out of here. He's cool. My grandma's alive. So wait, there, but there, were, there was a time when he was a great-great-grandpa then? Yeah, and I mean, yeah, he was a great-great. He got to have it. He got to have the great-great. Ooh, that's, that's, that's crazy in this day and age. You know yeah. I mean? that's that's some for real having descendants right there. Yeah. <laughs> I got them on deck. Yeah. Uh, Rafe, I miss a lot of the uh, one of the fun things or not the, one of the things I miss out on. I'm cooking a lot of times, so I miss a lot of the. No, I felt bad. The chatter ahead of time. So, gonna. I, I know you're a traveling comedian. I know you just headlined at Helium Comedy Club in Indianapolis this weekend. Yep. But like, kind of, what was your what was your kind of like origin story? I don't know anything about it. where you're from. So I grew up in Southern Illinois in a very rural. I had, it was in a town called Dowell, Illinois, with 500 people in it. It was okay. spelled D O W E L L. Do well, which was ironic because no <laughs> one was. <laughs> and um, so I had a really small town. I was like, <laughs> here's the thing about Illinois. Okay, when you tell people you're from Illinois, they go Chicago. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I have to remind them there's this giant vestigial tail yeah, the whole that hangs the off the ass of Chicago mm-hmm. that is the state of Illinois. Mm-hmm. And as you travel south, it gets more and more impoverished. It becomes farm country, coal mm-hmm. mining country, and there's no coal mines anymore because of Clean Coal Act. Uh, thanks a lot, Nixon. I don't know who did it. <laughs> um, <laughs> my, that my great great grandpa is probably still bitching about it, but. Um, you know, so it's a lot more like northern Kentucky in terms of, yeah. like, ideology. We're from Indiana. We, yeah, we're you well get it. aware you get of it. what. You get it. Yeah, <laughs> it's not much different here. Um, 
So I grew up there, but I've lived in St. Louis for 20 years. Okay, Because cool. you had to move to the city to do... Like, comedy was not even a thing. I talked about it at brunch. Like, I remember asking my... You know, like, our drama department had the budget of approximately the cost of, like, a king-size Butterfinger. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we did a little shop of horrors, then we did Grease... And then we did a little shop of horrors the next year. It was like we had two, <laughs> we had props to two plays, yeah, yeah. and every other year somebody else got to be Steve Martin's dentist. You know what I yeah. mean? It was how, just kind of how many people in your like graduating class? Twenty six. What? Oh wow, twenty six. There were a hundred and started with forty. So that shows you the yeah. attrition rate. A lot of people got married. Oh uh, yeah, a lot of people got jobs. <laughs> See why I'm a young grandpa? Yeah, right? yeah, no, oh, yeah makes yeah. sense. Was there like just thirteen couples? <laughs> Yeah, dude, shallow dating pool. Which yeah, is, that's a weird thing too. Everybody is Eskimo brothers. Yeah, or like some societal rules just had to be bent because we, of we, the. Cousins? You know what I mean? <laughs> cousins? Not cousins. Not those type of societal rules. But well, probably I do have cousin brothers in my family, which is fucked up. This is a true story. What? I got I got cousins that are brothers, man, and it's like it's not their fault. They're cool guys. Both two of my aunts both wanted to fuck the same guy. They did it. They both mm. had kids. So they're cousins and they're brothers and nice guys. You know, it's just, it is what it is. They come, yeah. nobody the made a big deal about it. Brothers nope. and the cousins. No, honestly, I don't know if they would they're have cousins a- and their brothers and their cousins <laughs> and their brothers. <laughs> Give us a hug. I feel like they'd have some type of telepathy. Like they could speak <laughs> to each other. Like, cause like cousin brother powers. <laughs> activate. Activate. Yeah. We've got more form of neglect, <laughs> shape of therapy. <laughs> Uh, but they're both really cool guys, and it was just like uh, that's funny because it's like it, we didn't talk. You know, we knew it; everybody knew it, but it wasn't like a thing we dwelled on. It was just like, hey, that guy ran through a couple of my aunts. You know what are you gonna do? Yeah. It's a small world we're living in. So, was your goal to graduate high school and then just get the hell out and go to the big yeah, city? Yeah, I was always kind. Of, yes, I think I tried on. Here's what's weird about growing up in a rural area like that. You guys may relate to this. Is like you kind of there are societal expectations that get put on you, mm-hmm. especially in you know male blue collar. It's like I knew I wrote a letter in third grade when they do that thing where they're like, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" and they make you open it at the end of the year to see if you've changed your mind over the course of a year. Like you wanted to be a firefighter, but we now we had a forest ranger come to the school and you want and I wrote comedian. Oh, wow. And that, in third it, grade? In third grade. And I haven't, it was always the thing I felt. It sounds corny, and it is. But it's like, I do feel like it can be a calling, mm-hmm. the same way people say sure. they get called to the priesthood. Now, do I think that we're modern day philosophers? No, we're mall clowns, but it still could be a calling. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I think I just held on to that, but I always felt like there was some obligation to like stay where you're at. I mean, if you get married at like 23 where I'm at, they just assumed you were defective. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, it's so normal for people like not to get married or get married well into their 30s. Oh, yeah. Now, but like in a rural area, it's like, you're 23 and unmarried? Yeah, there's a problem. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Old maid. Whoa. Ooh. Yeah. Confirmed bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, the societal thing I was talking about was like, you know, when you go up in a place that small, like, it wasn't weird or uncommon for like a 20 year old dude to be at a high school party or Mm. a girl, because it was like, that was your social group. And then you graduate and you don't go to college. Yeah. Yeah. Who you're supposed to hang out. You know what I mean? They were like, parents were cool with it. There would be like people that was like, my, my cousin married the girl 
We gave him a plaque for going to the most high school dances. Yeah. As a joke. <laughs> yeah. Because he, like, started dating a freshman when he was a senior. They, they're married and have three kids. But that man, at some point, he was, like, a 21-year-old at prom. Well, even, like, like you know uh, what I'm saying? the movie Varsity Blues. Was it, like, Varsity Blues has it where it's almost like a trope, like, the guy that comes, he still got his Letterman jacket on. He graduated five years ago. Yeah. yeah. But he's still hanging out. Like, that wasn't so unheard of. Yeah. Like, they were. It really wasn't. Yeah. And it wasn't, like, even frowned upon. Mm-hmm. And it went both ways. There were, like, older girls dated younger guys. It was just, like, now I would be, like, uh, yeah. Well, we had teachers date some of the students. Oh, yeah. Every, there's so a creepy goes. teacher at every school. <laughs> yeah. So. We had a grandpa, Grandpa Joe. He used to come by. Was like, hey, it's Grandpa Joe. He was not a young grandpa, though. He was 16. I'm not going to be able to moonwalk this year, kids. <laughs> what was his deal? No, I just made that up. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was only 37. I mean, that does sound like something a school with a small budget would have an assembly for. But like, we got an entertainer here. It's Grandpa Joe. Oh. Like, what does he do? And he's like. He's a grandpa. He's a, he's so when when do you get out? When do you? How does that? What does that look like? So when do you get out? When did you get free? I <laughs> fell into the trope of like sports. Mm-hmm. So I played college football and baseball at a college in Central Illinois called Eureka College, where Ronald Reagan went to college. Oh wow! And but not for the good stuff. It was like where he went to theater, mm-hmm. undergrad, and they beat it to death. It was like, this is the Ronald Reagan oak tree. This is the mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan museum. This is the Ronald Reagan blade of grass that we <laughs> preserved. Everything was Ronald Reagan. And the funny thing about that school is uh, it was a Christian school in a dry town. They were very like, and but their mascot was the Red Devils, which is hilarious to me. Mm. <laughs> and uh, they didn't like divorce. And Reagan was married before he married Nancy. And oh. she divorced his first wife and married Nancy Reagan. And oh. they were never nice to her. Because they didn't like divorce. They were like fundamentalist Christian type founders of the school. And he had left them a fuck ton of money. But he got feebed out. He got Alzheimer's. And Nancy got control of the finances. And they'd already like had, they had this huge complex. They, were, they had already spent the money. She, in turned their it, she turned it off. She turned the funds off. Gave him $300,000. Cut it to like, I mean, gave him nothing. And I was like, well, they messed up. Hey, that's what you get for your Christian behavior. You know what I mean? Like, you treated her like shit, and it came back and bit you in the ass. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went there, and then I got my girlfriend pregnant, like, beginning of sophomore year. And that tends to end a lot of college sports careers. Yeah, can mm. I ask you what position you played? Oh, I thought you were going to Not what position you got her pregnant in. Uh, believe it or not, I played whiteout. You played missionary? Uh, everyone <laughs> assumes linebacker because of my current build. Yeah. Um, I played, like, a slot receiver. Okay. okay. Like, I was... I'm six one. At that time, I was like two ten. I was okay. pretty big. Like I could come in and play tight end, but I would move out in the slot, yeah, and catch passes. So it's never anyone's first guess. And I played center field. Ever get a concussion? I think in high school I had one, but we didn't know. I just like yeah. well, I like I remember like, on I, it. Get back out there. I like passed out on the football field one time. I just yeah. remember like I got hit. My head went to the ground. I got up and kind of like fell down, and then. Went out for like two plays and just went back in. That was the 90s, dude. They were just like. It wasn't even eh. a thought, yeah. Yeah, they just put you back in. Yeah, I just wanted to do a study on how many comedians have gotten concussions at a certain point. but I have. I would say yes to that. At least one. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, So then I moved home, you know, and I just bounced around, dude, and like tried to work it out with mom. Went in the army because that's what you do, you know, to pay for it, to try to figure out a way to go to college. Came home. From that, we split up. 
I like that every time you said that's what you do has not been what I've done. You know, like, <laughs> okay. Well, where I'm from, that's like, the, dude, that's what the army is crazy too because it's just like they take advantage of poor kids, man. Yeah, it's no. all on the enlisted army is eighty percent. It was like poor white kids from Tallahatchie, Tennessee, and inner city youth trying to escape. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was like a blending of those cultures, which was good. Yeah, it, I think it was good to like you know be exposed to different cultures and like build empathy and things like that but it was like they were definitely like recruiters going into poor high schools take offering this like you want to go to college mm-hmm. go die for your country right and then yeah. it was just like i was like okay sounds good well in the 90s like and macho shit like the late 90s was a pretty safe time to join the army oh, i was perfect dude i was in between the gulf wars i was i never did anything i'm not mm-hmm. i don't want I hate when people are like, thank you for your service. And I'm like, yeah, I kept, no, Fort, I, I, I kept Fort Sill, <laughs> Oklahoma pretty fucking safe. <laughs> I, bet, I bet more so like like as a sign-up thing. Like, yeah, there's nothing going on right now. Like, Yeah, you know, yeah. No, I'm saying like yeah. I was lucky in that way. And then, you know, I came home, was in the National Guard, bounced around jobs, went to school forever. You know, and then i kind of like drinking got away from me at some point like later in my life mm. i was like the real van it took me like seven years to get through undergrad I changed my major like 37 times and then uh then that's when i moved to st louis to do grad school and then i got sobered up and like kind of it was such a different experience like i did really well in grad school <laughs> yeah got my graduate degree started doing comedy What's your degree in? uh healthcare admin okay and I wish I could give it back and just square the debt. I wish there was a buyback program. There was, yeah, I, yeah. I don't need ten grand. What I need is you to buy this piece of paper back from me. Yes. I won't put it on any resume for my comedy career. <laughs> I won't even try it. And yeah. I'm cool. I'm out of debt. I will never help anyone. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I know this has been a long-winded story, but it was like it was a very. I didn't start comedy until I was 33. So it was like there was a long time between third grade and 33, mm-hmm. where it was like. I kind of had a shit or get off the pot moment, you know, like I knew I always wanted to do it, but I got a DUI and then I couldn't drive for like two years. I'm like, well, I can't start comedy because I can't drive, you know, so I guess I'll just keep drinking. And then then a second DUI and then I'm like, ah, fuck, that sucks. Poor me, (laughs) you know, and then it's like eventually and I said this at brunch. We were talking about one of the other comics is four years sober and I had a really good sometimes you got to hear a truth from a friend. Uh, that you don't want to hear in the moment. And he was like, uh, this has been my best friend for a long time, you know, and he came up and we were hanging out in a bar, obviously. And he was like, you know, I think you could be the funniest guy on the planet and you're going to settle to be the funniest guy in the bar. Mm. And that makes me sad for my friend. And I was like, fuck you, man. <laughs> you know, like in that moment, yeah, that sucked to hear, but like it really kicked me in the ass. That and a couple, you know, just the fact that I was like, this is not good for me, my health, or my family. Mm-hmm. And then um, I sobered up, and I, st- I just I dove in head first, man. And I started uh, going to mics, doing Toastmasters, got into improv because I had really bad stage fright. Mm. I don't know if you guys ever dealt with that when you started. <coughs> like, some people seem like they don't have it. I was fucking had crippling stage fright when I started. For how long? First year, easy, you know, especially because you're bombing, and that's not reinforcing confidence. Yeah. You know, I wasn't, like, awesome. At, I, I got laughs, but I yeah. I bombed a lot, too, because I was trying new stuff out. You yeah. Know. There's at some, 33. Yeah. And there's, like, a, a younger group there, too, watching, and yes. you have some older people. 18-year-olds, you know. Yeah. 
But I think that was a benefit. And we Hannah and I talked about that upstairs at brunch too, dude. Like, how old were you guys when you started? I was real late. I started at 37. Okay, cool. 28. All right, nice. Oh, I'm not a comedian. So you could start today. Yeah, I can start today. uh, How old were you, buddy? 28. So we're all late bloomers in comedy (laughs) terms, right? In a very ageist business. But I think it made me work harder because I knew I did not have fuck around time. I had already taken my retirement. I always say I took my retirement early. I'm going to die working because I took 10 years and I fucking partied. Yeah. (laughs) Like... When I've heard young comics now, because I'm like the sober guy in our scene, I was like, dude, we party like yeah, I know you don't party, man, but like last night I had like four drinks and like I took I ate some shrooms. I'm like, oh cool. Well when you put an ecstasy up your ass in Panama Beach so you can roll harder, you can talk to me. Okay? But until like you don't know who you're talking to right now. I'm a psychopath. Uh, you, you know this me. You don't know the prior you don't know Mr. Hyde. He's, he lives inside me. I keep the secret is I'm always angry. You know, it's like, I'm always high. Yeah. I always have ecstasy up my butt. Yeah, I have Molly in my ass right now. I pull a little red those little pilots red rip cords and it just puts two grams of Molly right in my fucking anal cabin. Kinsey's day don't You're know. all getting back rubs. <laughs> Kids these days don't know nothing about cramming, do they? <laughs> oh, you guys put vodka on tampons? Pussies! <laughs> You're all getting back rubs. <laughs> so, yeah, man, it was like, I think the benefit of that was you have a deep well to draw from because I've had a life. Yeah. And whether it was a good life... Probably not, but that is good for comedy. I yeah. have a lot of mistakes that I can. So when and I do a lot of autobiographical, time to reflect on them, you know. Yeah, and like it, sometimes when you start comedy young, that's your life. That's all you know. Mm. So like, yeah. and I, we've all been to mics, dude. And like, it, it's primarily men jacking so off, usually, jacking, jacking off, off, wait, wait, chasing pussy. You know, like talking it, about jacking off or actually jacking off, but a little look, of both. Look at how mics you going to? Yeah, I'm going to the clean ones. <laughs> Uh, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I feel Tinder's like weird. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, that was the, there are pros and cons. The cons is I started very late in an ageist business and I knew I had to bust my ass if I, cause like you turn 50, it's going to be tougher, but there's exceptions to every rule. Rodney Dangerfield was like in his mid fifties when he made that. You have, you have to be delusional to be a comic anyway, mm-hmm. because the chances of being Dave Chappelle are so slim. But, you know, I saw an interview with him where he talked to his dad, and he's like, his dad didn't want him to do it, and his dad was a teacher, and he's like, yeah. well, what do you consider success? If I, How much do you make a year? He's like, $40,000. Like, if I make $40,000 as a comedian, would you consider me a success? And he says his dad never said another word about it. So I think of it like that, too. I'm like, you, you do always want to be progressing, but it's also like five years ago, me would be like, oh, dude, you headlined Helium this weekend? It's fucking dope. Yeah. Today, me, he's like, ah. Yeah, I didn't draw enough people. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I hope I can headline the big room soon. But yeah. it's like, those things will come yeah. if you just keep working hard and, and let go of how it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think having, like, a deeper well to draw from and being able and knowing that you're up against the clock made me work hard. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I so I think yeah. there's benefits to it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that was kind of my, sorry, that was a very long story. No, that's but like, that was That's kind of how I got into comedy and that's how I approach it. I have a blue collar mentality, not like a. You ever put a spit cup on the ironing board? You might be from Southern Illinois. It's not like that, but it's like blue collar in terms of like lunch pill. Yeah, I know that I got to work at it, 
And I just take that mentality where I'm just like, just do the work, keep your head down, be funny, and be nice to people. Because kindness is the best currency in our business anyway, dude. I don't care what anybody says. Are you? When did you go like full-time? About five years ago, maybe four. I mean, I'd lose track with COVID. Mm, sure. Uh, but I got into a position where about the time it was like, so 2014, 2015, I got my grad degree. Mm-hmm. And that's about the time I started getting paid to do comedy. Now, it wasn't great. And I was managing a bar, like a blues bar. I also got sober in a bar, which was a fun experience. (laughs) Wait, how does that happen? Honestly, dude, it's easier than you think because you get, I get to see the guy I don't want to be once a week. The guy at closing time that's drunk, so drunk that he thinks he's like a fucking Don Juan. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm just like, oh, man, this guy sucks. Yeah. He's like, her, he's like, thinks he's killing it. And I'm like, I don't ever have to be that guy again. I don't ever have to be the drunkest guy in the bar again that everyone's like, oh, somebody get that guy an Uber. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So it, I got like nice little reinforcements. But that was a good career. I, so I think all comedians should be servers or bartenders because sure. it is an easy career to transition out of into full-time comedy. Because you can like make decent money working short hours and as you start making money doing comedy, you can be like, I only want to work two or three shifts a week. Yeah. In most restaurants, everybody's trying to make money. You can also get shifts picked up really easy. So when you get a show out of town, you're like, hey, I got a last-minute show in mm-hmm. bumfuck Missouri, but they're going to pay me 75 bucks and half a sandwich. And they're like, yeah. you want my shift? And they're like, yeah, I'll take it. And then you can go do those shows. So I kind of slowly transitioned out. And I would say by 2016, 2017-ish, I was making enough money to live, not – and I also live in St. Louis, which is cheap. I don't know what the Indy. Indy's a, Indy's a fairly inexpensive city. Yeah, St. Louis is like one of the best major cities. A lot of like young professionals, when they graduate, move to St. Louis because the cost of living is so mm. reasonable. Yeah. I couldn't have done it in New York. I couldn't have done it in L.A. I still couldn't. If I moved there, I would like blow through my savings so fast mm. that I'd be like, guess I'm walking dogs again. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I also got really good at other things. To supplement, so I'd write commercials. I make a lot of extra money doing freelance stuff, and that helped, like working on commercials or you know period. And then you get a reputation of being good at that, and you can. And because we're comedians, the hardest thing is knowing our worth. Yeah, you know. How'd you get I, into that into writing commercials? Do you know, you dude? For Purina? Are you allowed to say who it was? Yeah, I was one for Purina, and then I've. I wrote like a, I just, this last year, COVID, I had a really good year in COVID and I felt bad about it because I got Energizer. We pitched Energizer, which is like a billion dollar company. They wanted to make their YouTube cool. And I pitched them like, what if we wrote a 90s sitcom? And the pitch was like a a lady puts Energizer batteries into her remote. She gets sucked inside of her TV into a 90s sitcom and they greenlit it. And we got to shoot, like, I wrote six episodes of a sitcom, and we got to shoot it. I got to play Uncle Jimmy, who was, like, kind of <laughs> Jesse and Joey, like a fat Elvis, you know? Like, roll, like both uncles from Full House rolled into one character. That's yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll do that, too. I'll write myself in. Every commercial, they'll be like, 40-year-old blue-collar guy. And I'll just be like, I'm just spitballing here, but I could do it. And then you're like, hey. So then you get extra money. For being in the yeah. commercial. So I get paid to write it, wow. and then I get paid as paid an actor, ends, and yeah. then I get something for my reel, and I know it's funny because I wrote it. Yeah. You, you jailbroke the game, man. That's, yeah. that's dope. So that's kind of, uh, that helped immensely being able to go full-time. Because those big paydays, because those are billion-dollar corporations that 
they got they got fuck you money, dude. And it was so hard for me to learn that to be like, oh god, if I ask them for this much money, they're going to tell me I'm a piece of shit. And I send an email that I'm like, gulp, uh, five grand to do this project, and they're just like, sounds good. Send us an invoice. Not even like no pushback. Whereas you know, as comics, we're used to being like. Hey man, can you like go half with me on gas money? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like we're so, we so you're taught to just undervalue yourself, yeah. and, so, and sometimes you you need the experience, and you need so sometimes you got to eat the bullet. And there's still times, dude. Like I'll go to Buffalo to do a feature weekend, and I break even, but I can afford to do that, and then I get to open for Colin Quinn or somebody, and mm. that's a cool experience. I may not make any money, but I've supplemented that. That's what I use commercial yeah. work for. Is I'm like, I'll do these commercials. Are they artistically rewarding? No. Yeah. Sometimes I'm writing a tire commercial mm-hmm. for like mm-hmm. a local tire business, but it's it finances those break even weekends that are going to make me a better comic, help me connect with people that can help me later on down yeah, the line. Absolutely. I just learned what a stage was uh, in cooking. Is that, am I saying stage? Mm-hmm. Woo. And so I just learned what that was. Like, and people just go and watch and like, I'm like you go and watch and you don't get paid. Yeah. You just don't help out. But like, that's the same thing as within the food industry. Like if you're just like working with Colin Quinn for less money, it's still a good experience and you're going to be picking it up. So yeah, I, and if you're paying it, if you're in the room, and you're paying attention, you're going to learn something. Yeah. 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 For sure. Hey, we're going to take a quick uh, commercial break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Heart of Brunch podcast. We're talking to comedian Rafe Williams. Uh, let's get into the food, man. Uh, so uh, we do have different themes here. And I got to tell you, because, uh, you know, we've never met before today. Right. So usually I kind of tag it to someone and I was like, I was like looking at some of your stuff online and literally my first idea was like, well, he's from Southern Illinois. And I just Googled the cuisine of Southern Illinois. Oh boy. Yeah. And it, it wasn't anything I felt like serving to you. Yeah. What was it? I'm curious. Uh, just like a lot of boiled meats. No, it was, uh, was it really? No, there was, there was literally some stuff on there. I'd never heard of before. Fried bologna. It was not a horseshoe. What's a horseshoe. Have you ever heard of a horseshoe? Yeah. That's a Springfield thing. Oh, okay. Okay. Everything in Springfield. It yeah. is in Illinois, though. I lived in Peoria for a while. I didn't know it was, like, not a thing yeah. nationwide. Yeah, we served them at a restaurant. It's like an open-faced sandwich with, like, fries all over it. And then smothered in, like, cheese yeah. and or gravy. Why do they call it a horseshoe? Because of when horses step on poop? Yes. And it gets yes. on the hooves, and that looks like fries and, yep. and beans and, and jalapenos. Beans. There's no beans on it. Uh, pink cookies. Okay. It was the number one thing that came up. Uh, sugar cookies with pink icing. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Murfreesboro barbecue. Murfreesboro, it does. They, Bill Clinton used to fly uh, barbecue from Murfreesboro to the White House. So is that just one barbecue place? Yeah, it was a place called 17th Street Bar okay. and Grill. Uh, he loved it so much. It does have, like, it, it is famous. It's a weird thing. But it is true. I wasn't sure if it was like a style of barbecue or no, something. No, it's not. Just, it was like so a it's place. Like one specific, it was a specific place. place that did barbecue. Is yeah. that what they kind of uh, he got it on, on the campaign um, trail? And he loved it so much, he flew <laughs> it into the White House. Like awesome. House of Cards that did that. Like he always went to a barbecue place. I wonder if that's where they were kind of could have been it from. It very well could have been because he literally. It was. Cr- there were a couple times that like, literally, Air Force Two like the helicopter. Stopped him for BBQ. Would come and pick up like po- multiple pounds of barbecue and fly it to DC. I don't. I don't. For Bill Clinton, anything food related or sex related with Bill Clinton, I believe. But then again, he was like the McDonald's president. Yeah. So what? Yeah. I don't know. What does that tell you about his taste palate? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Gold, was, Golconda shrimp. 
Do you know what that is? Wakanda's a town. I just feel like they put towns in front of food. Bullshit is what this is. Goldtown just sounds like a two-headed snake. No, Golconda's is like an area of southern Illinois. That'd be like, uh, Dal Ham. And I'm like, yeah, it's just ham served in that town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm glad you didn't make those things. So we yeah we didn't we didn't go that way, and then we were just so I have a list of like different themes, like kind of like random themes. We were going through, nothing really felt right, and then uh, Zach had the idea. He was like, "What if we do like uh, kids' food?" Which I had to remind him we've already done. That <laughs> that was on the list. So then we were like we were bouncing around the idea of that, and then uh, we kind of was like, well, "What about like children's books?" Because yeah. that's slightly different, and it, it makes you think a little bit. It kind of yeah. jars the, yeah. the creative process up a little bit. And so we, we landed on some children's books. Uh, uh, Zach sold green eggs and ham right off the right off the bat. Yeah, he said that first. Yeah, yeah he, he got that real quick. And uh, so then that made it a little bit harder for me to pick. But uh, go ahead and tell about your green eggs yeah, and ham dish because it was, it was great. So uh, the, the ham, I made a... Uh, uh, parsley oil uh so it was all green and then i i mixed that into the ham when i was sauteing it uh i put a fried egg on there and then i made a green queso with the uh uh with that that oil and then i poured that over the egg and there was a hash brown under it too so good so good so amazing everything was great like this is a no joke like this brunch is not to be fucked with (laughs) i just want to put that out there i know i said a lot of I gave you a lot of high praise off mic, <laughs> and I'm not going to, I'm no Natalie Cuomo. I'm not going to suck you fucking guys out, all right? It was a really amazing brunch. Uh, I was saying upstairs, I was like, you know, every between dishes, I longed for the previous dish, nice. only to fall more in love with the next mm. dish. I felt like a relationship where you're like, yeah. I was just learning to be a better man for this green eggs yeah. and ham. <laughs> yeah. Oh, green eggs and ham's gone. I was just learning to be a better man for these Peter Pan pancakes. You know what I mean? Like I was just like I went through all the emo- the grief. Yeah, I processed the loss, and then I moved on to a happier time yeah. as each course progressed. It was amazing. That is awesome. Well, we did start off with the uh, the Giving Tree, uh, which is a famous apple tree story, uh, uh, which was an app just apple and sausage hand pies. Why did you choose sausage for the Giving Tree? So well, I I choose apple what you for the giving tree. Okay, then what what was but what how, what does the sausage represent? And the hand pie part of it. Oh, uh, hand pie. Yeah, it was just the apple. Really, was <laughs> it was mainly just the apple. I thought the boy was the sausage. He was the sausage. He acted like a real pig. No, uh, he, uh, yeah. No, I was just like I wanted the apple to be like the main thing, but I was trying to get away with something that would have been like a dessert. I didn't mm-hmm. want it because a lot of times when you put apples and stuff, it just it was tremendous. Yeah, so I wanted something that was going to be like so a good. savory. It was great uh, dish with apples. So then that's when the sausage. came I put in. one in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite thing we had today, and my least favorite kids book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it, is, it straddled both sides of the spectrum. Well, yeah. What happens at the end? Can we spoil that? Well, we, yeah, we t- spoiler alert: this forty-year-old book, <laughs> <laughs> way older. If you have not, if you never, they definitely, they definitely Lieutenant Dan the uh, tree by the end of it, <laughs> oh, like a reverse Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it would be a reverse. It's just the just the legs. Uh, Wait, no, <laughs> Lieutenant Dan didn't start off with stumps and then. Okay. No, well, yeah, but he well, has his upper half. Uh, yeah, I gotcha. He has his upper half. If it was just his legs they were wheeling the around. The tree was decapitated. Yeah. I, I, it I was went a reverse on. human centipede. 
Wow, I didn't think there was any way to make a human centipede any worse than throw it into reverse. Uh, wow. Um, it's dark. A, it's a, a weird break. We were, we, were talking, we were talking upstairs about like what a bummer the giving tree is like Very much for so, kids. Yeah. So we kind of went down a rabbit hole of like bummer children's books. I'm a big fan of all Shel Silverstein's poetry. Uh, like I've got like three of his volumes, and I read them to my kid regularly. They're uplifting. They're fun. They're really creative. Uh, and the Giving Tree, I think, is just so depressing. Mm-hmm. Like I don't understand why it has to be all giving until you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like the Giving Tree was written specifically for like overbearing mothers to read to their children. To be, it's just like. <laughs> The whole concept of the book is just like, I am this saint mm. who gives and gives and mm-hmm. you suck me. <laughs> and you suck from mommy's teeth until I wither and die. But I'll die for you, baby. I'll die for you. And it's just like, I remember like even as a kid being like, I killing my mom, <laughs> and I think like oh, an overbearing mother's probably like I can't wait to read this to my. Kids. <laughs> you know what I mean, I guess I'll just be a stump for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's coming up in conversation. It's, you said, it's, it's a manipulative book. Kind yeah, of. It is. yeah, yeah, it is. And how many times does that really get read to a child? Like, hey, can you pick the Giving Tree again? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I remember it was pretty pretty popular. Like, it's like, been popular for a long time. Your mom is it popular because yeah. of the kids want it, or is it popular because the parents want yeah, to read it to them? I, I think you cracked the code there. Yeah. There's not a lot of kids. You're right. There's not a lot of kids clamoring for the giving Wait, tree. No, that one, that I'll tell you something. No. If there was, why isn't there a Pixar's giving tree? <laughs> They've made yeah. everything. Yeah. They're yeah. remaking The Little Mermaid. They're remaking yeah. kids' movies. No one wants to touch uh, the giving tree. We, no one. I want to see Pixar's The Velveteen Rabbit. <laughs> oh, oh my word! Speaking, it's just you know, like Pixar movies start with the bummer and then they get more uplifting towards the end. Yeah. I say, what if we start with the bummer and then just go full skid, turn into the skid of all bummer full skid row yeah yeah it never gets happier maybe the velveteen rabbit we start when he's discarded and burned <laughs> for being uh yeah. polluted with cholera was that yeah. what it was like with a voiceover you're probably wondering how i got in this fire <laughs> yeah they're playing like bob o'reilly's yeah. playing in the background like <laughs> flashback three months earlier <laughs> how i ended up here His fucking spur is charred. One ear is like burnt to a crisp. You that know? might actually slap. That might actually be a really Let's good show. Let's do this. Pitch this movie right now to Pixar. This is where we start, okay? Yeah. Fuck the backstory. Velveteen Rabbit is out on his own. What does he do? He goes to school. He becomes a scientist. He cures cholera. He comes up with a vaccine. He's hated by the community. It's just a... It's just, just the Velveteen Rabbit merged with Dr. Fauci. <laughs> <laughs> the Velveteen Fauci. <laughs> Follow the science, Velveteen. <laughs> He's just trying to convince other rabbits to keep their mask on. <laughs> no, then, thanks, dude. Now, I, I got to say, this was a bit of a cheat because this is not a story that I grew up with, but I just know it from popular culture. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. I did. I have seen the movie. But this isn't like a book that I read growing up. I don't. Is it a newer book? I, I think no, it is no, 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 no. I would, well, for me, I was a child when okay. I when I you did read, read it. Yeah, my mm. mom would read it to me. Yeah, I would be weird if you were an adult when your mom read it to you. Mm. Uh, yeah, I would. I mean, I'm not saying if that does or still happens. I mean, it must. I, I, <laughs> it must. By the way, you answered. I mean, I read a 
article about like a guy, like a 14 year old that was like still breastfeeding. And they like, he breastfed in line at an AMC movie theater or something like that. Like nice. they're waiting to get tickets. Nice. And I'm like, dude, if you can get into a PG 13 movie without your parent, uh, Maybe you don't need to suck tit in line. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But I feel like there's always somebody that's like they're like pushing the line so much that they're just they're waiting waiting for someone to say something. Right? It's just like, oh, I can't breastfeed my middle aged son in public. Are you got you gonna say something? Yeah. It's like, no, man, I don't. Like, I don't. <laughs> I don't want to get into it. Yeah. Uh, but cloudy with a chance of meatballs. <laughs> uh, no, it was a it was a, a a meatball. It was a mortadella meatball. Mm. Carbonara. Uh, I was gonna make meatball sandwiches at first, and then I was like, "Yeah, I don't know." Uh, I wanted wanted the pasta part of it. Yeah, the pasta represented the cloud to me. I mm-hmm. thought that was a really uh, clever. It's well, and even the way it's the meatball sat on top of it, mm-hmm. it was almost like a little, like a little cumulus that was a, that, cloud that of was, flavor. That was all done intentionally. I'm sure it was. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me as a layman what mortadella? Meatball? What What does it's that a, mean? It's, it's a fancy bologna. Okay. Oh, that's why exactly. it tasted like that. And I, that's a good thing. It was good. It was yeah, like, like it had a good flavor. So like, uh, I feel like with the it's also had balsamic vinegar in it, which kind of changes the flavor profile a little bit. Normally, if you get a slice of mortadella, like if you just got like a deli slice of it, it, it tastes like the fanciest bologna you've ever had. It tastes like gourmet bologna. Okay. But the Which, meat the, the meatball itself did not necessarily taste like that. It was very kind of uh, light, I guess, yeah. on mortadella. We were talking about that earlier, about the mortadella. It was like, oh, I thought this was going to be like a bologna meatball. Bologna yeah. ball. A bologna ball. And then the, the Peter Pan French toast, which I guess got lost in translation on why it was this connection to Peter well, Pan. Now, I will say, it's I really like, right? I like, yeah. yeah, I like what he said, Peter Pancakes. You could have gone with pancakes <laughs> with the peanut butter yeah. on there. And then the Peter Pancakes oh, would have. Yeah. I'm an idiot. I think that would have been. Forgot what I even had. I was so coming so hard from all the good taste <laughs> in my mouth. Uh, they were great. It was great. What kind of bread was that? Uh, it was just a. Uh, it was just a French. It was just French bread. It, was like like a, it felt like a slice of a loaf of French bread, right? Yeah, yeah. That was, was cool, it, that was a cool twist. I've never had. I was gonna get so like I was kind of inspired by the Rock's cheat day meals. If you Google the Rock's <laughs> cheat day meals, it literally is just like and he'll one. The Rock takes his own food into restaurants and goes, "Can you heat that up?" <laughs> like, and they're like, "Yeah, of course, we'll do anything, Rock." But his cheat day thing it literally is there's multiple pictures of different versions of it is like him with what appears it looks like a half of a loaf of bread right it's a half of a like a full like loaf of bread just cut in half and then just like slathered with peanut butter yeah and it's just like it is like but it's french toast it's just like peanut butter french toast but it it, it looks like i wouldn't want to eat it like it looks like enough for like five people to eat. You know, right, right. He goes all in, and he go he go he goes all in with it, and it's. Uh, It'd be funny if The Rock was getting into like the same foods my dad liked. You know, he's getting to that age. I think there's foods you age into. Would you agree mm, with that? Yeah. There's stuff you think is gross into. when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. Like I'm all about you. I'll blue cheese crumbles. I'm all about it. I would have rather died as a kid than eat blue cheese. And yeah, now, I think really? it's like I don't know if life beat you down. And there's nothing left. And you're like, you know what? There's nothing left to excite me. I guess I'll eat this cheese that tastes like dirty feet. You know? And it's my dad. I remember dad foods growing up. Mm. Like, my dad ate like a hobo, dude. 
And I couldn't figure out if it was just he ate a whole hobo. Yeah, I feel like yeah, I feel like I saw him kill a man in an alley. Here's my theory: Dads get so tired of their food getting eaten that they just eat foods nobody wants. Oh mm. my gosh! Yeah. So like, I remember like he. <laughs> yeah, are you with me a little bit? No, my uh, fiance's dad literally bought the chips that nobody liked, including him, so they wouldn't eat them. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a thing. I think my dad used to eat, bro. My dad used to eat sardines out of the can like a little rascal's fucking. That's my fucking favorite. He like roll. Yeah. It had the roll down, yeah. and he would like put mustard on them and eat them out of the can. And I was like, Ugh, how poor are we? <laughs> I, I love sardines, and it offends. Everybody, yeah, nobody pick, likes to watch yeah, you eat them out of the can. No one, and nope. it's like such a gross food. And it's like he had pickle loaf. Oh yeah, or olive loaf. Do you pickle, pickle loaf? Pickle yeah. loaf is a like yeah. the fuck is, is that, dude? That's a real blue collar. You know, it's like they had a meeting at yeah. the Bologna factory, <laughs> and they were like, "Gather around, boys. <laughs> Listen." How do we make bologna less appealing? <laughs> and one guy's like, what if we took a hole punch and we punch a bunch of holes in it and fill it with a bunch of unidentifiable peppers? And it's like, God damn it, you're a... Mike, you're the new foreman. It's like, what, who decided to make that gross shit? What, oh, we also make it square. You know, like, that's disgusting. Now it's not even round. It doesn't even feel like a processed meat. So in the in the bologna multiverse, like in the bologna spectrum, Dude. Uh, mortadella would be on one end yeah. and pickle loaf that's is on the other pig. end. Yeah, yeah, that's spider pig. That's it's spider fucking pig. gross. Pickle loaf is spider Nobody pig. clamoring for that movie. <laughs> And dude, the other thing he ate, you ever see them orange circus peanut candies that you yes. see in every gas station for like 50 yeah. cents? And you're like, who the fuck eats this, this shit? Yeah. It doesn't taste like peanuts. Doesn't taste like oranges. Yeah. Does taste like drywall. Yeah. <laughs> My dad would fucking house those things, dude. And I'm just like. Why? I think it was just because he's like, they're not going to ask me for any. The kids won't ask. I never wanted one. I ate one time. I took one bite and was like, yeah, those are for you. <laughs> Never saw me to sardine like, hmm, maybe today's the day. I'm just like, God damn, dude, get your shit together. That would be a great, like, whole branding, like, dad food. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> food nobody wants but you. Could you make pickle loaf, like, casserole good? I mean, I could, yes, probably, but I'm, like. <laughs> I, I've never challenge. had pickle loaf, but I think I would like it. Pickle pickle loaf, real. I mean, it's oh, man, it's it's, it's it, it actually sounds good to pickle me. Pickle loaf is you like spam. Is just like I love spam. A, a cheaper mortadella. I mean, it's yeah, it it is what it is. Pickle loaf salad. Ugh. It'd be like a like a ham salad or like yeah, you could put pickle ham loaf salad. That's another one. I love ham salad, and that is objectively gross. That's the only one I won't do. Chicken yeah. and chicken and tuna. I'm good. Ham salad. I'm out. Spam. They t- they uh, there was a study where they gave a tribe of like. This tribe that would eat people when they died, cannibals. They would eat their own tribesmen. It was still yeah, part sure. of their. They took them cross meats to have them tell the researcher what meat tasted closest to human flesh. And oh my gosh, hundred percent spam. That was the overwhelmingly oh, it was spam no. because there's so much price, so much fat in the human body. And, you know, spam is just <sighs> stored in fat oil and I'm just like, and my- then like when you're white trash. They try to spruce it up. They fry it. 
fried bologna gets through bologna and like yeah. a hot skillet and then it gets a bubble in it and yeah. I'm like there you go hot dinner and I'm like no that's just a lazy ass dinner dad yeah. that sucks did you ever have anyone in your family make sizzling very familiar with sizzling I, I'm familiar with the brand yeah uh, I just think uh, we probably got the uh, equate version of sizzling whatever <laughs> that was we couldn't afford the brand name stuff it was just like the idea of a diet bacon for some reason it was supposed to be but it wasn't like plant based or anything it was still meat but it was just supposed to be like bacon with all the fat taken out of it yeah. or something was like it that like turkey bacon cuz that no, was popular for a No I, I think I think the idea was because remember in the 80s they were like fat is bad for you so they just took the fat out of yes. everything yes and so it was like how about bacon but with no fat it was gross um so I want to ask you about, you've mentioned a lot of comics. You've mentioned uh, Kyle Kinane. You were mentioning Dave Attell, these mm-hmm. people that you've opened up for. When, yeah. when, what was your kind of your, like, your first, like, I guess, big break? Or when was like your first opportunity that you got to start like uh, opening and featuring for some of these people? You know, when, so Helium Comedy Club opened in St. Louis like six years ago-ish. And that was a good opportunity when a new club opens into town, you kind of can avoid it, it's at least at first it's a little bit of a meritocracy. You can avoid some of those pitfalls that some clubs have where it's like who's in, who's out, who's hanging, who's buying shots for the manager and booker. There's a mm-hmm. lot of like behind the scenes wheeling and dealing going on, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there was a there's bound to be a club here that's exactly like that. I don't have to name names. It's part of the business. Every city I go to, there's a club where it's like, well, you know, because sometimes I'll be like, why isn't this person working this club? They're hilarious. It's like, ah, they don't, they're not here. They don't kick it. They don't hang. The manager doesn't, you know, or you'll see the same person getting booked over and over and over. And it's like, it can be frustrating as a comic because you feel Mm -hmm. like you're you're being forced to pay dues that you feel like you've paid. So when Helium opened, it was kind of like, who's funny? Yeah. You know, come and prove it on stage. Mm -hmm. And I won their first funniest person in St. Louis contest, which I know means nothing in the grand scheme of comedy. It's contests are bullshit, but you know, it is a good feather in your cap and it can get you. So that got me like over the hump work in the club. And I think I opened for like Alonzo Bowden hosting. Nice. And then I just kept working and I kept, and then they probably gave me an opportunity before I was ready to feature. And, uh, I did okay. You know, you could stretch. I stretched it into 20 for, like, Greg Fitzsimmons or whatever. And then I just kind of started to learn how to feature. And then when you got to do that time and you feel that five-minute lull when you think you've got 20 and you don't, you know, you get that five minutes of bullshit or ten minutes of bullshit in the middle <laughs> uh, where you're like, yeah, I got a smattering of laughs, but it's not like you were killing in that 20-minute, mm-hmm. yeah. which you should kill in that spot because mm-hmm. it's the easiest spot, I think, on a show. You don't have – cold audience and you don't have a check drop mm-hmm. you know and then you take a few years of like killing in that middle slot and you, then you're probably ready to headline you know but i got a couple big opportunities at helium when i started middling um probably from that from just like because it was a new club and because it was kind of a meritocracy at the beginning where it was like who's funny who's showing up who am i seeing coming in with new jokes every week uh, you know, I got to do Joy Diaz and Dave Attell and some huge, huge comedy audiences, mm. you know, yeah, and yeah. Um, got to see what that felt like to be in an electric room where you 
the tape is amazing, you know. Mm-hmm. I probably used that Atel tape to get booked for three years. Yeah. <laughs> just re-upload it to YouTube yeah. and make it seem like it was more recent than it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I just, I'll take it down and I'll re-upload it unlisted as a... <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, this just happened in May. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that was from two years ago, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, I was just, you're killing so hard in these rooms. that. Yeah. So I would say that was my big. Um, and I also, there's a guy named Greg Warren uh, in St. Louis. And Greg is, should be a household name. The dude is lights out funny, clean comic, unreal. Yeah. Been working for years on Last Comic Standing years ago. And he is a, he will hate that I'm saying this about him. So I'll do it. And uh, he has been like, there are some comics that are only focused on themselves, right? And then there's some that they send the elevator back down. They have that mentality of like, got to help people on the way up. Yeah. You know, instead of like trying to protect. Yeah. 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 My weekends. Yeah. I don't want you to get better because then I might lose a weekend. Exactly. Like, there's people that are like that. They don't give a fuck about anyone. I mean. There are narcissists in this business. It's unfortunate, but it's true. It's not everybody. Yeah. On average, I think everybody's pretty fucking cool. But, you know, it is also like, it's like tennis, you know. It's like a, it's a one-person sport, and then you it breeds that competitive attitude. We were talking about it at brunch. Like, we're bred early on in comedy to feel like there's a pie, and every time someone gets a slice, there's a little less pie. And you just need to figure out that, like, oh, you can go bake another pie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just make mm-hmm. your own fucking pie. Yeah. yeah. It's harder. You got to learn. You might burn a couple pies. Mm-hmm. But eventually, there can always be, there's so many outlets for comedy now. And there's so many venues. And there's so many, there are a lot more people doing it. But if you work hard and you're good and you're kind to people, which is the best currency in comedy, we talked about that. Mm-hmm. I think just being a cool person and a good hang. Like the margin of talent is paper thin. There are a lot of really funny people, and it's all subjective anyway. Like, there's people that are going to love your comedy and hate mine, and vice versa. Probably, it just doesn't relate. It just doesn't resonate with them. Mm-hmm. And Greg is the type of dude that, like, he has given, he's vouched, given me opportunities, gives me hard advice, stuff that makes you want to quit comedy every once in a while. Mm-hmm. You know, getting a hard truth from somebody that's a really good joke writer mm. about where you're fat. You know, like, hey man, that bit's good, but it's a little fat. <laughs> yeah. A little fat in the middle. Need something to either cut yeah. it or punch it up, you know? And it's like, that's my best bit. And he's like, well, <laughs> what's that tell you? Yeah. <laughs> what's that tell if you? If that's your best bit and it's fat, yeah. right tighter. You know? And it's yeah, like, all yeah. right, man, whatever, dude. Fuck you. But then it's like, then he murders, you know? And I'm like, truth is, truth is on stage, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So he's been huge. Huge influence on me uh, and really helpful in my career. He's vouched for me. You know, he introduced me to my album label. Nice. He introduced me to, he's vouched for me at like big chain clubs and stuff like that, that I probably wouldn't have gotten into if he, he at least got my foot in the door. I had to go audition and like get passed, but sure. he was like, I think he's good. I think he's ready. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as much as we like to pretend like this is like hustle and grind, dude, mm-hmm. I make mine. It's like, yeah, you probably had help. We probably all had help along the way yeah. with somebody. It's it's always that makes. And I think that's the thing. I don't know. If people always don't talk about or reflect on is like you have to be able to back up whatever. But that foot in the door can be sure make or break sometimes. Yeah, and, and it's like you can't open the door and then have nothing to back it up. No, it's on you. That's what I'm saying. Like it, it is on you to deliver the goods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. when called upon but getting teed up for those opportunities yeah sometimes you need a little help to present the goods to the client yeah. give or take you know yeah 
So he's been good to me. Kanane's good to me, man. He's he's the type of dude, another dude that like isn't greedy with opportunity and success. He's I'll get e- wild emails that I don't even know he recorded me for stuff. You know, somebody be like, "Hey, we're doing this." I was like a Northern Indiana thing. I think Terhune ended up doing it, but it was like I just got an email to like headline some festival they do in like Northern Indiana, and the guy's like, "Kanane says you're the guy." You know, it was a big payday for me. It was like five grand to do one show or something. It was a crazy number that for me is a lot of money. Yeah. For them, that may not be a lot, but for me, that's a lot of fucking money. And it's throwing five grand. Yeah. And just like, he didn't even call me and tell me. He's just like, he's not even trying to like take credit for it. I wouldn't even I known he recoed me for it if the guy didn't tell me. He's yeah. like, yeah. Just for full disclosure, we asked Kanane and he said, you're the guy. He said, you'll come crush it. And I'm I, like, dude, that's huge. When yeah. people like that vouch for you, that is huge. Oh, I yeah. love it. And I, I love I love, I love the, the concept of send the elevator back down. Like, that's. Yeah, yeah man. And that's, I try to. I always say, and we'll see. I might be a huge prick if I ever make it. <laughs> <laughs> but I always say, like, remember these moments. Right. Remember what it was. Because have you ever worked with a headliner who's so detached from what it's like to be us? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That they say shit that you're just like, what? You've been famous too long. Yeah. You know, because they don't even remember the struggle of like what a middle comics life is like. Yeah. You know, and it's not even on them. Like, I like them. Like, I worked with John Lovitz one time and he had like his service dog in the green room. It's like a little puzzle. He's a great guy. I love the Jerry. Love the fucking dog. Where's a little bow tie? Cute ass dog. And I'm like, I have a puggle too, man. And he's like, well, why don't you bring him on the road with you? (laughs) And I'm like, "Uh, well, I'm a middling feature, (laughs) man. He goes, it's great. To have a service dog, it's a company on the road, and the airplanes let them fly for free. And I'm like, I'm sleeping on someone's couch, dude. Yeah, yeah, we're good. I can't. It's hard enough to get a comic to be like, hey, do you mind if I totally invade your space for three days and snore and fart all over your couch? Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm bringing my puggle. <laughs> like, but they're so far removed yeah. in their fame yeah. that like they don't even remember what it's like. Yeah. And those guys aren't like that. Those guys, those guys stayed grounded in yeah. the struggle they and they help back, people. They send the elevator back down. I love Which it. That yeah. should be a title of a book. Uh, Rafe Williams... Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We could talk to you for another Wait, three hours. Can I ask a question before you cut? Yeah. yeah. What's up with Michael Landon? Oh, oh I'm glad you asked. It's been, a, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. Here we go. So Michael Landon is uh, the... A huge star. A wonderful a man. a star. He got fame, two hit shows. Huge. Little House on the Prairie. Highway to Heaven, dude. Highway to Heaven. I was a Highway to Heaven kid, you know? Like, mm-hmm, I grew up mm-hmm, with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, when I was a kid, I was a bedwetter. Okay. And I was always told that Michael Landon suffered as a childhood bedwetter. Okay. And he um, apparently, there's a, a pretty famous story about he became he got fast enough to do track and field because his mom would hang his pissy sheets on the clothesline. And so he would, like, get out of school and run home to beat the bus so his friends and people, yeah. peers wouldn't see the pissy sheets. I feel like I've seen this in a movie. It might have been. I've been like, but I was told this as a child, and okay. so I bring this story up, and we're googling. Uh, if you Google famous bedwetters, Michael Landon is at the top of the list of the world's most famous. He's bedwetter. number one. Uh, you think you know number two and number three? Of course he does. Uh, pissers, famous bedwetters. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Did I? 
Right, yeah, we, we don't use that word. We don't, we don't, use, we don't use the hard <laughs> P in there. Sorry, we don't use that that word. Word. Sorry man. I grew up in the nineties, dude. I grew up in the nineties. That was a that was a hard P. My bad. Uh, no, who are the other two? Wait, uh, let me guess. Okay, one of them. I, I'll give you a hint. Are they pretty famous? One of them, yeah. Both. One of them is a president. All right. Of the United States, and one of them was on uh, Three's Company. Uh, I will say, I'm going to go John Ritter. Susan Sarandon. Susan? No, Susan Sarandon. Susan Sand Summers. Susan Summers. Susan Summers. That thigh master, dude. Susan she blew her. She, that, that thigh master strengthened her clit up. It strengthened her pistol oh, up. That's, that's why she used it. Okay. She got all strong. Never thought of that. She's holding that piss in. Now I know why that was so important to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And then uh, give me a hint. How, like, old president, newer president. You don't have to go crazy. Not, not, in, the, not in our lifetime, president. Uh, I'm gonna say FDR, LBJ. Very close. Ah, LBJ. We had that huge cock. Yeah. <laughs> so it's probably hard to hold P in there with the gravity and everything. All oh, the gravity. Now, yeah. where's Sarah Silverman in there? She was like top five. Norman's a bet was a bedwetter. Yeah. Mark Norman talks Norman. about it. Oh, was he? <laughs> he, he, still, he still is. <laughs> yeah, he had a good joke about it where he's like, uh, went to a sleepover and he's like. Making up an excuse or something. He's like, why is this bed all wet? And he goes, ah, oh, must have spilled a cup of piss. Kind of hard to do. I used he, to sleepwalk pee. Get, yeah? My friend's brother did that, dude. Yeah. The walk-in pee? He would just get up and piss all over the curtains and go back to bed. He yeah. wouldn't piss in the bathroom. He'd just like, and he wouldn't pee on himself. He'd pee on something. Uh, go, yeah. Were you a pee on her? Yeah, like there would be a chair, and I'd wake up, and there'd be like white powder on the chair. I'm like, whoa, what happened? And uh, they were like, oh, yeah, he just got up and did a bunch of coke. pissed all over our coke. Coke's <laughs> 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 ruined. Can you drop a beat for me there, Zach? Rafe Williams, thank you so much, honestly, for coming yeah, and, thank you, and podcasting with us. You've been great today. Is, yeah, uh, awesome. Where can people find you and follow you on social media? Uh, you can find me at I am Rafe Williams on all social media because one asshole won't give me my name on Twitter, uh, even though his only tweet is a tweet that says test. Ah! Remember no. when Twitter had an egg? Oh, yeah. He he's, still he's has still an egg, egg as a fucking picture, and it says test, and uh, his name is Rafe Williams. And I offer him 150 bucks. I offered him money, dude, and yeah. he follows me on everything, and he follows my comedy. And he's like, I love your comedy. And every time I mention it, he just like big dogs me and doesn't acknowledge that I asked for the handle. It's so crazy. If it's that's the only a, thing I had to connect me to like like somebody that I followed, I'd probably hold on to it. He's too. holding on. Maybe he's hoping yeah. I'd make it and then he can get some real money out uh, of me. Yeah. Yeah, it's the money thing. But I am Rafe Williams, uh, on Instagram, TikTok, uh, anything that you probably use. Um and it helps, man. So I appreciate it. Like uh follow me on that shit. It helps. It's part of the biz now. Uh Zach Roan. At Zach underscore Roan on all social media. Daddy's Jay McKee. At Thad McKee, and I'm working on a book called uh, Send the Elevator Down. Um, <laughs> it was an idea I got on the podcast, yeah. and I've just been working on it. So, Thanks. I'm at Dyke Michaels on all social media. Um, you guys ever wondering where you should get Heart of Brunch shirts? You guys ever think about that? All the time. Yeah, we get. I get that question a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, the answer is HarderBrunch.com. We have a website, and we got merch live for sale, so go check it out. You want to get some merch sent to your house? It'll get there. <laughs> Harder brunch. It'll get there. Uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Later. <laughs>